ओके सर टेस्ट करें ओके أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله ورد سورة قريش today this is a pair of the previous surah سورة ال which surah الفيل سورة الفيل okay so فيل and قريش are a pair and before we get into it I highly recommend you all, whoever who's not been, who wasn't here in the afternoon, to watch the video on Surat Al-Fil for you to completely understand this surah and, and the context going forward because they're connected. But just for the sake of a recap, okay, we need to give you a brief introduction on what really happened in terms of the context and background of Mecca. How was Mecca established as, you know, a, a center for Arabia? Okay, so basically what happened was the center for Arabia was Yemen, a city called Sabah in Yemen, okay? What's the name of the city? Sabah, okay, that was the center. But then, and usually, you know, Yemen used to represent, the Sabah used to represent the gateway between Europe and Asia, okay? So it was very strategically located. But what happened in the year 450 AD, a great flood came, it's called Sayl al-Arim, it's mentioned in the Quran, and it completely destroyed Yemen and the city along with it. And so Yemenis dispersed, some went to Medina, they're known as Aus al Khazraj, you know the Ansar, they went to Medina. A group of them went to Al-Hijaz, which is modern day Saudi Arabia, Mecca. They went there, why? Because there was water there, Zamzam was there. And who did they meet there? They, meet, they met Ismail alayhi salam. Whose son was Ismail? Ibrahim alayhi salam. And so, you know, Ismail alayhi salam ended up getting married to, you know, them into it and they became very close and they decided to bring all the Arabs together. You know, they created this treaty where all the Arabs and tribes would be united. And so the population of Mecca started growing, growing, growing. And then, you know, Ismail had three sons. The most popular son, his name was Abd Manaf. Okay, remember his name. What's his name? Abd Manaf. He had four sons. One of his sons was a genius. His name was Hashem. Hashem was a visionary. Okay, his vision was since... Yemen and Saba is no longer the center of trade for Arabia. Why don't we make Mecca the center of trade? So him and his brothers, they were, they were four brothers. They each went to the different strategic locations in the region. So one went to Iraq, one went to Syria, one went to you know, different parts of the you know, neighboring countries to sign economic treaties with them. You know? And they called this, this brotherhood that came, it was called as Hilfil. Ilaf. It was basically an agreement of Ilaf between them. Why? Because it softened the hearts. Ilaf, you know, Ilaf Quraysh, Ilaf means to soften the hearts. And so why did they call this agreement softening the hearts agreement? Because why did Arabs not do trade with, you know, neighboring countries? There was a lot of tension and hatred among them. So they said, you know what, let's leave all the fights aside and let's soften our hearts and let's start doing business. Everyone make money. And so... That's when, you know, Quraysh and, and uh, Mecca started becoming an economic center of Arabia, you know. And it replaced uh, Yemen as the center of trade. And this really bothered Abraha. You know, that's why basically, you know, later on he attacked and all this Ashab al-Fil incident happened. But that's not the context of our uh, discussion. You can refer to that video to learn more about what happened then. But here what we're learning about is how Quraysh were established. Now, what was this as a result of? It was as a result of a dua that Ibrahim made. Okay? Long, 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 long time ago. Ibrahim was a visionary. He had a vision. He was a man of a vision. What was his vision? He was in a place, basically in the middle of the desert, a valley where there was not a single plant. And he was there with his son Ismail and he made a dua. What was the dua? Rabbij'al hadha baladan aminan warzuq ahlahu min thamarat Oh Allah, make this land, this city, a safe city and bless them with thamarat, with, with, you know, basically prosperity. And subhanAllah, why is this such a genius dua? Because these two things are the most important two elements you need for a successful society, for a successful country. You know, ask any political scientist, he will tell you with peace and prosperity, any country would develop further. If you have one of the two, it won't be a benefit. If you have peace but you don't have prosperity, people will die of hunger. If you have 
prosperity, but no peace. You have a lot of money, but you can't enjoy it. You can't go out. There's bombs happening. There's you know, people uh, stealing money and stuff. If, you're not, if you don't feel safe, there's no point of all that money. So when these two things come together, that's when you get the ideal society. And so Ibrahim السلام, had that vision for Mecca. Now if people were around Ibrahim السلام, back then, what would they call him? People would say, you know, are you out of your mind? This city, this valley that where there's no, not a single plant, you're calling it to be a prosperous city and a safe city? And subhanAllah, fast forward 2015. Is Mecca a prosperous city? Of course, you know, any businessman, these you know, small shawarma places there, the supermarket there, the hotels, even the barbers, they're all multi-millionaires, right? Why? Because of the foot traffic. It's one of the largest in the world. My friend was just telling me, in Ramadan, up to 8 million people are there. 8 million, okay? So, had Quraysh knew, known that this was going to be the case, Allahu alam, you know? They missed out on a lot. They must, they, you know, I was just thinking about it. Quraysh, their problem was they didn't want to believe why. They felt that this would be harmful for their business. Because interestingly, you know, there were 360 idols around the Kaaba. Each idol representing a, a different tribe. And so during Hajj season, these tribes would come. And yeah, they would do Hajj. But more importantly for Quraysh, what would they do? Shopping, right? Just like we do. We buy the, you know, Janamas and Tasbihs and the Kujur and the Zamzam. So a lot of stuff is bought during this. So it was great tourism for them. What did Rasulullah call for? All these idols... You need to get rid of them, right? That's one of the first things he did when he actually you know, conquered Mecca. He destroyed all the idols. And there's only one Rabb, right? One God. And so Quraysh found this threatening. They thought that this would threaten their business and their tourism income and economy. But subhanAllah, look at fast forward to 2015. Quraysh missed out on dunya and akhirah. They could have gotten both. You know the, the dua we make, Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fi akhirat hasana. Quraysh missed out on both. They left Rasulullah for dunya, thinking they will maintain their wealth. Did they get dunya? They didn't get dunya. And they lost their akhirah also because they didn't believe. So here we're learning something profound about um, this, this gift of um, peace and prosperity and how. Amazing the dua of Ibrahim was. Now what's interesting about Surah Al-Fil and Surah Quraysh is that Surah Al-Fil talks about the first part of Ibrahim Alayhi dua. Rabbij al hada baladan aminan. Oh Allah, make this city a peaceful city. And what was the whole point of sending Ababil and destroying Abraham and his army and his elephants to grant peace to the city of Mecca? Right or no? So part one of Ibrahim Alayhi dua is done. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had guaranteed safety for this city. Part two of the dua was, وَرْزُقْ أَهْلَهُ مِنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ Grant them prosperity. This second part of the dua is what Surah Quraysh is talking about. The prosperity. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed them with prosperity. Now, you have to understand who is the addressee in the surah, right? Primarily, the Prophet is, is listening to the surah, right? being revealed to him by Jibreel alayhi salam. But who else is listening also? Quraysh are listening. So indirectly, Allah is telling them, did you forget that I favored you with this blessing of this house and this safety in the city? Did you forget the blessing that I gave you of the trade routes of, you know, Rahlat al-Shita'i was saif We'll talk about it, okay, in a second. But they were blessed with so much business and so much income. And they forgot these blessings. They forgot the blessing of being saved from Abraha, who was literally going to destroy the city. And they forgot the blessings of prosperity. Allah is reminding them. Don't forget. And by the way, Allah is also indirectly reminding them, who built this house? Your forefather Ibrahim salam, And Rasulullah was from which lineage? Banu Ismail. The same people who were behind the... You know, the establishment of Mecca, like I told you, Banu Hashim, they were from the children of Hashim. The same forefathers. So how can you reject this message? This, uh, this message, this Rasulullah is coming with the same message that came down from your forefathers, Ibrahim and Ismail. You know, 
So just very important for you to understand this concept. And by the way, Hashim's son was Abdul Muttalib. Abdul Muttalib's son was Abdullah. And Abdullah's son was Rasulullah Sallallahu Muhammad Sallallahu Okay? So Hashim is pretty much the great-grandfather of Rasulullah Sallallahu Okay? So, so you just understand this. So الذي, Sorry, the previous surah, how did it end? وَجَعَلَهُمْ كَعَصْفٍ مَأْكُولٍ What did Allah... How did he destroy them and what did he do to destroy them? He sent down birds, literally. Birds were sent to destroy the army of Abraha. And Allah says, and he made them crumbled like corn stalks, like plants that are useless. You know how sometimes you have plants that are crumbled together in fall season? You know, there's no life in it. It's just crumbled pieces and the wind comes and blows it away. That's what asfim ma'kul is. It's also referred to when camels eat this, uh, these plants the leftover that's flying out of their mouth, basically. That's ka'asfim ma'kul. That was what happened to the enemies who tried to attack Mecca. And so Allah here says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم في Quraysh For the purpose of softening the hearts of Quraysh. For the purpose of softening the hearts. Ilaf means to soften the heart. Of who? Of Quraysh. Now, interestingly, Umar radiallahu and Abdullah bin Mas'ud, when they used to recite Surah Al-Fil, they used to continue and recite Surah Quraysh without even saying Bismillah. So the way they would recite it, and so they combine both surahs, as if both, both surahs are connected to another. So they would read, أَلَمْ تَرَ كَيْفَ فَعَلَ رَبُّكَ بِأَصْحَابِ الْفِيلِ أَلَمْ يَجْعَلْ كَيْدَهُمْ فِي تَضْلِيلِ وَأَرْسَلَ عَلَيْهِمْ طَيْرًا أَبَابِيلِ تَرْمِيهِمْ بِحِجَارَةٍ مِنْ سِجِّيلِ فَجَعَلَهُمْ so why did Allah destroy them? For the sake of Quraysh. As a favor for Quraysh. For softening the hearts of Quraysh. You get, you get the connection? So it, it, it actually flows perfectly with the previous surah. So li'ilafi Quraysh. Here what's interesting is Allah is saying, I did this because I love Quraysh. Now this is in a way a bit shocking, right? Quraysh, the same people who were disbelievers, the same people who rejected Rasulullah the same people who are calling him a liar. Allah is saying, I did all these things, I gave them safety and security, and I secured their prosperity. Why? Because of Quraysh. Because I, I love them, I care about them. Here we're learning the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The mercy even with the disbelievers. And this is a big lesson for Muslims today. You know, there's this unfortunate misconception that we need to love our Muslim brothers only and the Muslim ummah only but anyone who's outside the da'ira of Islam we should hate them they are kuffar we should make dua against them may they burn in hell this is the wrong, wrong concept here and we learned this previously also when Musa salam was sent by Allah to Fir'aun what did Allah tell Musa right they, he told, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Musa, offer him to purify his heart. Invite him to purify his heart. Purify whose heart? Fir'aun's heart. The most messed up personality in the entire Qur'an. Allah had hopes in Fir'aun even, softening up his heart. Subhanallah. And you know, in, in a different place, Allah says to Musa and Harun, فَقُولَ لَهُ قَوْلًا لَيِّنًا Say to him soft words. Say to Fir'aun, soft words. To the most biggest tyrant in the Qur'an, say to him what? Soft words. What did we learn last night? Humaza and Lumaza. People who have hard hearts, right? Allah's teaching us, even with people like Fir'aun, you need to talk softly. You need to talk with love and care in your heart. Perhaps they may soften their hearts and believe, subhanAllah. Where are Muslims now from? This attitude of loving even non-Muslims. Loving even atheists. And you know, interestingly, you know, with this whole now big rise of homosexuality, okay, a lot of people are having this hatred towards people who are homosexual, which is not right and not accurate according to Quranic teachings. If you have a friend who is gay, you're not supposed to hate your friend. Yes, we hate the concept of homosexuality, but your friend, you don't hate him for that. You hate the act he, he's doing or his, you know, him being part of homosexuality, you hate that, but you don't hate your brother. 
He's still your brother. Although he's gay, although she's lesbian, you still love them. Why? Because you want to invite them to the truth. If you hate them, how can you invite them to the truth? Can you? Da'wah, da'wah is called inviting someone. Like when you invite someone to your house for some biryani or pakore, right? Would you invite someone you hate to your house for biryani? No. So how can you invite them to Islam if you hate them? And even if you try to invite them with an angry face, become Muslim or else you go to hellfire, will they listen to you? Forget it. You'd rather go home and eat biryani yourself rather than go and invite people like that, right? And so we're learning here that softening the hearts. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had hopes in Quraysh. This is supposed to amaze Rasulullah that he's doing all these favors for the softening the hearts of Quraysh. And so Quraysh need to be thankful about this. And indirectly, you know, in Surah Al-Fil, there was good news for Rasulullah. That just like I destroyed this huge army of elephants, by the way, there are about 9 to 13 elephants. These were imported from Ethiopia. Arabs had never seen anything like it. These were like modern-day, you know, Godzilla-like creatures for them. They had never seen what elephants look like. And so for them, they freaked out. Most of the Arabs, when the attack happened, they ran away into the mountains. They got scared. So it was pretty much, you know, a, a win-win situation for Abraha. But how did Allah defeat Abraha and his army? Birds. You know, birds against elephants, literally. And who won? Birds won. Okay. Without any fighting. And by the way, the army, they say it was about 10 to 60,000 people, uh, soldiers. All defeated by rain of stones. So here was warning for Quraysh. A reminder for Quraysh that be thankful. Because just like I destroyed Abraha's army, I can destroy you also. Kun fayakun, I'll send my army. The birds, they will destroy you. What guarantees you that Allah cannot destroy you? Don't get into that comfort zone. At the same time, on the other side of the coin, Rasulullah is being given a good news. That just like I destroyed Abraha, they were messing around with my, my house. Similarly, victory for you is coming. So be patient. I'm on your side. Okay? I'm on your side. So li'ila fi Quraysh. So that we can soften the hearts of Quraysh. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made business easy for them. The trade routes were very easy for them. You know, uh, robbing and, you know, they call them dakus in uh, Urdu, right? People who rob other caravans and trade. They used to, this was a big business for Arabs, okay? Arabs used to do that a lot. And I told you also, even in the Arabian Gulf region, if you go back in history, a lot of the big families, this is what they used to do for a living. I won't mention names because, you know, it's all censored stuff. But just read books and you will know that this was their profession. There was no other source of income. I mean, it's a desert, there's nothing else. There's no agriculture. There's no fishing. There's no, you know, exhibition road or anything. No business. So what do you do? You pretty much earn the hard way, right? By stealing from other tribes. And But Quraysh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after the incident of Fil, you know what happened? People started honoring Quraysh more. Mecca started having a, even more, like, honor and, and sanctity. Why? Because they knew, don't mess with Quraysh. Because, you know, Ababil will come. And so people started respecting it more and people started honoring this tribe. So when Quraysh would go for trade routes to Yemen or Sham, these were the two main cities of trade, right? Yemen and Sham. No one would mess around with them. Allah called it Rihla Tashita'i Wasayf, right? Rihla means a journey where you have so many bags, so much merchandise. That's what Rihla is. It's different than Safar and other words in the Arabic language for travel. Rihla specifically means a travel journey where you have so many merchandise, so much bag. And Arabs, what do they do? If they see an, a caravan with lots of bags, they would attack. But if it was a Quraysh caravan, they would not mess with it. Who gave them the safety and security of business? Allah saying, I did it for them. For what purpose? So their, their hearts could soften. So maybe they would be thankful. Maybe they would be thankful. And you know, interestingly, when Abraha was, was hit by the stones, he didn't die in Mecca. He got injured. He went all the way back to Yemen. This was part of Allah's plan, that he would die in Yemen in front of his own people. He got infected with this disease and there was this plague. And so people wouldn't even go near him. They thought this was contagious, contagious uh, you know, sickness and disease of the skin. And so they didn't even go near, near him, but they all freaked out. If this is what happened to Abraha and his army with elephants, then... 
there must be something special with the city. We are not going to go and seek revenge for Abraha. You know, the Christians of that time, they, they gave up. They're like, we're not messing around with these Arabs. Another very interesting thing. You know, you'd think like Quraysh have all this ego issue, right? Over what? What do they have? They literally have nothing. They're just a desert and a group of Bedus, yani, you know? They were nothing. They could have been crushed by Abraha's army. And so all this ego for nothing. There were, who were the bigger empires back in those days? There was the Roman Empire, there was the Persian Empire, right? And the, the Byzantine Empire. These were like the big empires. They, these empires were fighting against one another. Who was in, in between and ignored completely? The Arabs. They were completely ignored. Why? Because there was nothing to fight over there. What would they fight over? There was no oil yet. Unlike today, right? No. <laughs> Had they only known, right? Man, all of them would be fighting over this place. But they were well, pretty much nothing. And so they didn't, they didn't even bother coming to Arabia. I mean, what's there besides sun tanning and maybe like camel burgers and maybe camel milk? That's all you get in this place, right? So th there was no interest for anyone. They didn't even bother entering into these lands. And so for um, Quraysh to be egoistic, Allah is saying, what, what, are you, what are you egoistic about? You're nothing. You are nothing. And I'm only favoring you because I want to soften your hearts, by the way. I just want to make these trade routes easy for you. And very interesting point here also is, you know, they got a lot of foot traffic for, for economic development within Mecca and their trade routes were made easy, right? They say also, you know, in, in winter, usually you don't have much crops growing. Okay, the produce doesn't grow much, any because it's winter season. And in summer also, it's very hot, so people avoid traveling. But for them, Allah made it easy. They used to get produce, according to some Fassirun, even in winter. And even in summer, they used to travel to cooler places. You know, usually between, they used to shift around between Syria and um, Yemen, just to, you know, shift their, uh, depending on the weather, wherever it suits. More. And wherever they'd go, they'd get produce and, and trade and merchandise and you know their business was going very well for them now interestingly Allah is saying li ila fi Quraysh I gave them basically they had no money problems why? so that they could focus on taking care of the Kaaba and getting close to Allah this is why I gave them all this money and power but what in turn did they start doing? they started running after more dunya more money, more trade, more trade. What did they start ignoring? They ignored the whole concept of enslaving themselves to Allah. That's why at the end of the surah Allah says, فَلْيَعْبُدُوا رَبَّ هَذَا الْبَيْتِ Let them then enslave themselves to the master of this house. That's the whole point of you know, the Abraha story and giving them you know, good prosperity in terms of their business so that they can become my slaves. Literally. فَلْيَعْبُدُوا رَبَّ هَذَا الْبَيْتِ After all this, they need to be thankful, they need to realize the blessings I've given them, and they need to enslave themselves to this house, which they're so proud of. The same house that Ibrahim built. The same message that Ibrahim came with. The message of Tawheed. Believe in one God. The same message of Ismail The same message that Rasulullah is coming up with. Why aren't you believing? This is the end of the surah. The one who gave them food out of hunger and the one who prevented them from any sort of threats, who gave them safety and security and peace. Why aren't they worshipping this house? So, to give you a worldly example so you can understand, right? And this is actually a true story that my friend told me that his uncle was one of the top surgeons in the United States. Okay? He could easily earn... If he worked full-time, half a million dollars, you know, annually in his job. But you know what he did? One day he realized that he was living a meaningless life. You know, he was just going to work, coming back home late, no time to spend with kids, no time to pray in the masjid, no time for Qur'an, you know. He felt that he was distancing himself from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you know what he decided to do? He decided to start working part-time. So instead of earning half a million, he was earning $100,000 only. But he started working part-time. And what did he do with the rest of his day? Got closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Improved his iman, took care of his, his iman. Started reading Qur'an. Started spending time, quality time with his parents. 
quality time with his children, quality time with his wife. He started doing some charity work here and there, voluntary work. Was that a wise decision or no? Yes or no? Because he's balancing both now, right? Of course, he doesn't leave his job because he still needs to make money. But he, re he realized that he can still live comfortably with $100,000. So why you know, waste your entire life just working for that extra 400000 So this greed was not there. So alhamdulillah, he's one of the happiest people on earth now. Why? Because he has both dunya and akhirah now. That's what Allah is saying here. That I gave them business. Business was set for them. Why? So that they could start focusing on what? Their deen. Start getting close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Start taking care of the hujjaj as they come. You know, custodians of the Kaaba, literally. Start serving this deen. Start benefiting the people that come. Start benefiting yourself. Start purifying yourself. So, I mean, their, the money issue for them was set. But did they balance it out with, with deen? No. They threw deen out the picture. And they went for more money. Greed. This was the problem. They wanted more money. Allah is saying, I, I did all these favors so that their hearts could soften, but they didn't listen. They went for more money, for more dunya. You know, and you know, for anyone who's active in Islamic work, this is like the, the dream for anyone who who's, wants to live a meaningful life, right? You, you want your like, stable income to, to be there so that it could pay your bills, your rent, and you know, uh, your pocket money, and then you could free yourself to do what you really enjoy, what you're passionate about. Isn't this the dream of any person, by the way? Right? To have stable income coming in to pay all your bills so that you're financially independent. When you're financially independent, then you can enjoy doing what you like. Some people like to play five hours of golf when they're financially independent. Other people, they like to you know, do productive work, like you know, charitable work, like relief work, they go travel you know, to Syria and these places and help the refugees. They you know, study Qur'an, try to understand some Qur'an, start teaching, start spending quality time with parents, with kids, you know, benefiting the ummah with something meaningful. So this financial independence, who got it? Allah is saying, I gifted it to Quraysh, here you go. Although you don't deserve it, I gifted it to you. Are you going to be thankful? Are you going to enslave yourself to me now? What do we learn in the next surah? أَرَأَيْتَ الَّذِي يُكَذِّبُ بِالدِّينِ Surah Al-Ma'un They lied. They didn't, they didn't want this. You know? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says they, they, you know, it wasn't worth it for them. Unfortunately, you know? So what does the word Quraysh mean? Quraysh comes from the root word Qirsh, which is literally a, a very dangerous animal in the sea. And, and uh, nowadays they call the shark Samak al-Qursh. Samak al-Qursh. Okay? And back in the days, they literally, why did they name Quraysh tribe with Quraysh? Because it was this large beast that cannot be overpowered. So it was a symbol of power for them. You know? And so that's where the root comes. Some others say that Quraysh also means from taqarrush, which means when, you know, people come together, when population increases. That's literally what happened with Hashim when he gathered the people in the tribes, right? Another meaning of Qirsh is, uh, they call them Qurush, money. Qirsh, you know. Grush, in, in Khaliji they say, Grush, Atna Grush, money. So also they were known for money, they were people of money, they understood business and trade. And they traveled and stuff. So they, they have this high status and new respect now in society after the incident of Feel. This is known as Amil Feel, big incident. They had no calendar, they had no January, February, March back then by the way. Amil Fil was like a milestone in, in their history. And Rasulullah interestingly was born about 50 days after Amil, this Fil incident. Same time, subhanAllah. So Allah subhanAllah is saying that الصيف, I want to soften their hearts after giving them all these favors. The favors of, you know, what are the favors? Now let's talk about some of the favors. Number one, they're the descendants of who? Ibrahim salam. Number two, they're the custodians of the Kaaba. Number three, Allah just saved them from Abraha, from destruction. Number four, financial independence. Number five, He sent them from a prophet. He sent them a prophet from among them. Rasulullah is from Banu Hashim also. He's from among them. Number six, the Rasul is one of the best characters ever. He's one of the best teachers or the best teacher for humanity. Number seven, the best speech, the Qur'an. 
What more do they want? And you know how Quraysh used to say, no, no, we don't want to listen to Qur'an. Show us a sign. We want to see a miracle that with our own eyes. Allah reminded them in the previous surah. أَلَمْ تَرَ كَيْفَ فَعَلَ رَبُّكَ بِأَصْحَابِ الْفِيلِ Didn't you see what I did with, with the people of Ashab al-Fil? You saw it with your own eyes. You saw these birds come, these weird birds, and they started destroying all these people. You saw it with your own eyes. Did they believe after seeing? No. And by the way, who, who usually believes after seeing? Animals do. Remember, we talked about this. Animals see. Animals believe after seeing. And subhanAllah, the, the fields of Abraha, they actually stopped going to the Kaaba. They, when he was attacking, they were changing directions. They understood that we don't want to mess around with this house. It's protected, it's sacred. So animals literally were better than human beings in that situation. So after all these favors, they, they denied, they rejected. They rejected it. So Allah is saying, It's about time that you enslave yourself. And you know, this is completely in parallel with Surah Al-Fatiha. So beautiful. Because in Surah Al-Fatiha, we start off by saying what? Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. We start off by remembering Allah's favors upon us. We start remembering literally our Allah's favors, that He is our Rabb. Remember the five meanings of Rabb? He is our Malik, our owner, our Murabbi, our caretaker. He loves us. He takes care of us. Al-Mun'im, the one who gives us gifts after gifts after gifts. Al-Sayyid, the one who has rules for us for our own benefit. And what else? Al-Qayyim, the one who sustains our life. All these favors that our Rabb is giving us, we say Alhamdulillahi that we have a Rabb with us, Rabbil Alameen. And then we go on and say Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, the most merciful, he's so merciful with us. And then Malik Yawmideen, he's so fair also. If anyone does injustice, you know, how many of you have been dealt with unjustly in your life? Someone has done zulm to you. Raise up your hands. If you have, anyone has done zulm to you, injustice to you. Okay, all of you have, who have dealt with injustice and you feel like you have zulm, someone has wronged you, when you recite Malik Yawmideen, this should give you comfort. Malik Yawmideen is giving us comfort that don't worry, the day of judgment is coming. Don't, don't hold this anger in your heart. Relax. Leave it. Let it go. Allah will take care on the day of judgment. By you keeping it in your heart, this grudge, this anger, who are you harming? Your own self. You're harming your own self. Malik Yawmideen, he's going to take care of it. So after realizing all these amazing things in Surah Fatiha, what do we say? Iyaka na'bud. Ya Allah, khalas. We give, we give up, Ya Allah. We submit to you. We are ready to enslave ourselves to you because you have given us so many favors. Now how many favors has Allah given us? If we start writing them, how many are they? Can we stop writing? Can we stop writing? No. Allah is saying to Quraysh, there's, if you start counting the favors I've given you, you won't stop. So at least just think about this financial independence that I've given you. Isn't this enough for you to start worshipping me? Isn't it enough for you to start enslaving yourself to me? And how many favors Allah has given us? The fact that we are Muslims, for those of you know, the Muslims listening, isn't that a big favor? You could have been born into like an atheist family or you know, a different religion or you know, Hindu, Buddhist, whatever, right? Allah gifted you Islam. You know why He gifted you Islam, by the way? It's not a coincidence. Allah gifted you Islam because He knows that you have potential. You deserve it and you can do something good for this ummah. It's not just by chance. Allah has hopes from you. Rasulullah has hopes in you. You are a member of this ummah. Allah chose you to become, to be born a Muslim because you're privileged. You, you have this special task, the special responsibility that comes with it. You know? But... We have forgotten that responsibility. So here, فَلْيَعْبُدُوا رَبَّ هَذَا الْبَيْتِ Let them worship the, the Lord of this house, the master of this house. This is not just a message to Quraysh. This is not just a message to Quraysh. It's a message to us also. Has Allah given us safety? Yes, alhamdulillah, we live in houses that, you know, and we have uh, a lot of safety. We sleep safely in our ACs. 
we go to work safely, no burglars, no wars, no bombs coming to destroy your houses, right? You have safety. Your, your, your wife can go out with her kids, shopping, whatever. No one's going to bother them. We have been given safety, like Quraysh. And alhamdulillah, I don't know about financial dependence, but alhamdulillah, all of us, to some extent, we have jobs. We have some income coming in. We're you know, managing to pay the bills, right or no? We have food in the fridge. We all had our you know, pakoras and samosas for iftari, right? And jalebis and stuff. So alhamdulillah, we are doing ash, right or no? Allah is saying, after you realize these favors, Have you enslaved yourself to Allah? Ask yourself. Or are you a slave to your own desires? Are you a slave to your own wishes and your own temptations? Are you a slave to money? Are you just running after money and the next promotion and the next business deal? And just yourself, self, 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 self. Or are you someone who has completely enslaved yourself? And you know, the job of a slave, is it a part-time job or a full-time job? Full-time job. Allah wants you to, you know, fulfill this wholly, fully. Allah says. Enter into submission in your entirety. Allah doesn't want part of it. You know? Allah doesn't want part of it. And Allah rebukes the you know, people who take part of it and leave part of it. He says to the hypocrites, you know, this is what they do, right? They, wherever of Islam they like, they take what they find uncomfortable, they you know, hide it under the carpet, like they say. Uh, this, not now, inshallah, when I'm 60, I'll do it. You know, we hide it under the carpet. Allah is saying, no, no, enter into Islam fully. Enter into Islam fully. And so how do we thank Allah for our, our favors? There's only one way. Remember, how do we thank Allah for His favors upon us? Enslave yourself to Him. That's the way you thank Allah. Just like I gave you once the example of, you know, your father gave you the keys to a brand new BMW. Okay? It's a gift from him. Do you deserve it? No, you don't deserve it. But he gifted to you anyway and he gave you a, a, a piece of paper with five rules on it. Wear your seatbelt, don't drive over 120, no girls in the car with you, besides your wife, yeah? And uh, no uh, speeding, no racing, and don't let anyone drive the car besides yourself. Don't let your buddies drive the car. Just five rules. Is it fair enough for your father to give you five rules in exchange for a brand new BMW? Is it fair enough? Is that a good deal? Yeah. Similarly, Allah has gifted us and He has given us a couple of rules. Enslave yourself to me in, in this boundary. You can enjoy. You can, you know, get married, have kids, enjoy within these boundaries. But if we disobey, then we are like that son who got the brand new BMW and he was ungrateful and disloyal to his father and he started speeding. He started, you know, getting his girlfriend in the car, started smoking in the car, started, you know, getting his friends to drive his car. Ungrateful. How would that father feel if he found out that his son is doing this? How would that father feel? Pretty upset, right? Put yourself in that situation. You'd be really upset with your son. You'd probably take away the car. Does Allah punish us for messing up? No, He keeps giving us one chance after another, after another. One Ramadan after another Ramadan after Ramadan, right? In, in Salah and Dua and Quran, we're saying, Ya Allah, this year, inshallah, I'll be your slave. But after Eid, we're back to the slave of our own desires, right? These mini-gods in our, in our hearts. So Allah is saying, الَّذِي أَطْعَمَهُمْ مِنْ جُوعٍ وَآمَنَهُمْ مِنْ خَوْفٍ I'll end with this. So beautiful words here. The one who, Allah is saying, let them worship the Lord of this house. Which, which Lord? The one who fed them out of hunger and آمَنَهُمْ مِنْ خَوْفٍ Gave them safety out, out of fear. So that they could be out of fear. Let's talk about these two things. Number one, why did Allah say, أَطْعَمَهُمْ مِنْ جُوعٍ first and then آمَنَهُمْ مِنْ خَوْفٍ Giving them food out of hunger has to deal with what? With safety or prosperity? Prosperity, right? And what's the theme of the surah? Prosperity. So it, it made more sense to talk about hunger and you know, food before safety. 
Next came safety, and gave them safety out of fear. Why? Because the previous surah talked about fear. So number one, first came, freeing them from hunger. SubhanAllah, freeing them from hunger. So it's, it's beautiful the way it's, it's structured. Yeah. And by the way, something very important to understand. When someone is, is hungry, he has not much much income to buy food for his children, what are the feelings that go inside the heart? What, are, what do you feel? What are the feelings? Your, your child is hungry, she's crying, your daughter's crying, but you don't have money to go buy her something. How would you feel? Miserable, sad. Sad is one word, right? Sad. Sadness. So sadness is one feeling that's taken away from the, these people. They've been given happiness. When you have money, you're happy. When you don't have money, you are sad, right? Okay? On the, other, on the other hand, when there is fear and threat of enemies attacking you, of your business you know, being stolen, or someone just attacking your family, what's the feeling that's in the heart? What's that called? Yeah, it's fear. Okay? Fear and anxiety. What's the opposite of fear? Being peaceful. Okay. So the two feelings that Allah is resolving here is huzn, which is sadness, and fear, which is being afraid of something. Look at how beautiful the Quran is. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the people of Jannah by saying that Ulaika, the people of Jannah, La Khaufun Alehim Walahum Yahzanun. They will have no fear upon them, nor will they ever be sad. Now, some ulama say that this is the, their state in Jannah and also in dunya. You know why? Why did Allah mention these two feelings, sadness and fear? Because sadness has to deal with the past. And fear has to deal with what? The future. You're always afraid of getting fired from your job in the future. You're afraid of that business not going well. You're afraid of you know, someone attacking your family in the future. But sadness is about the past. Someone passed away in your family, it's in the past. You know, someone said something hurtful to you in the past. You know, someone is sick. So, so Allah here is saying that the believer, his state is always, he's always happy and always content. Why? He's not concerned about the past, nor is he worried about the future. What happened to us Muslims nowadays? We're stuck either in the past or we are worried about what? The future. What are we not doing? We're not being present. Allah is teaching us something here. That even Quraysh, Allah gave them the gift of being present. Enjoying what they have today. Not having to worry about anything in the past. Not having to worry about anything in the future. SubhanAllah. So this is you know, a lesson for us all to stop, live in the past, stop living in the past. Let it go. You know, move on. And you know, um, I wanted to demonstrate to you something just so I can illustrate this. You know this concept of past and future, right? So if there was... Um, these are two bottles, okay? Now usually sadness of the past is pretty, you know, devastating, right? Someone dies in your family. It's pretty, pretty tough on you. Someone said something nasty to you. Someone took away your share of inheritance, right? It's pretty nasty. But there's a difference between the believer and the, the one who has no iman in his heart. The one who has iman, you know, is like this bottle here. There's iman filled up in the bottle. So when something starts to... Attack them from the outside, what happens? It's like, a, you know, there's some resistance, right? Some cushions there. Yes, it, it bends a bit, but what, is, what happens to the bottle then? What happens to the bottle? It goes back out, right? Like, like the ball that bounces. What is that due to? Due to iman in the heart. Due to faith in Allah. Due to the fact that there is day of judgment, there's going to be accountability, and Allah is on your side. But what about the disbeliever? Or the one who has no iman? When something bad happens to him, that's it. It's broken, you know? 
Does it go back in shape? Does it go back in shape? Khalas, destroyed. That's when khalas, that's when he'll start going to the bar. He'll find happiness in the bar, he'll find happiness in drugs, he'll find happiness in depression pills. Khalas, no iman. See the difference? So what we're learning here is, yani iman helps us even emotionally, subhanAllah. Quran is an emotional healing for us. It helps us deal with situations where, you know, sad events that happen to us, we get over them. And, you know, a believer has no... Of course, we have this fear of, like, Jahannam and, you know, all these things, this is good. But fear that your risk will be taken away from you, fear that your, your boss is going to fire you, fear of these things. Remember, we have yaqeen. A believer has yaqeen. He has certainty. Allah is on his side. And here Allah is teaching Rasulullah you need to have certainty also. That I'm on your side. Don't worry about them calling you a liar, calling you crazy, you know, trying to kill you and torturing the Sahaba. Don't worry about that. I'm on your side and victory is yours. So this idea of relieving, relieving them from fear and then giving them good thing. Also very important here. Last thing and I'll end with this. This is the concept of takhliya qabla tahliya. Okay? At-takhliya qabla tahliya. So, um, let's say you just came back from a basketball game or football game, right? You're pro- probably very sweaty and dirty and, you know, not really in the best uh, clothes. What do you do next when you go home? What's the first thing you do? You go get a shower. Why? This is called takhliya. This is cleaning up. Getting rid of all the dirt. Okay? Cleaning up. But then after you shower, what do you put on? Tahliya. Then you put the good stuff on. You put the nice clothes on. And... So that's the order here. The logical order of takhliya qabla tahliya. So Allah removed the threats, external threats in the previous surah, surah al-feel, by removing the fear. Right? Takhliya. They have no, no tension of fear. And then what did he do to give them tahliya? Financial stability. You know, financial stability after peace is set. Because remember, we said these two things are fundamental for an economy to prosper and to survive and to develop further. First thing you need to do is remove the instability and insecurity. This is lessons for any, you know, politician or someone in a, in a in a position of leadership even if you're a boss in your company first thing you need to do is remove the fear of you know in the, your employees that they might get fired get them comfortable we will not fire you don't worry your your contract is permanent the moment you start scare and unfortunately some bosses do the exact opposite right they start threatening every week they're saying listen you don't meet the targets you're out of here you know you better, better achieve your targets. You better do this, otherwise you're out. How's this employee feeling every day? He hates this boss guts. He hates coming to the work every day. It's like torture for him. Why? Because this sense of fear is there. When you remove this sense of fear, then your staff will start producing. Then they will start being productive. So see how, subhanAllah, the order of the surah, surah al-feel, remove all the tension, all the fear, of you know threats from the outside, make sure they they have peace and stability, and then you give them financial stability. Then you give them financial stability, and so this applies to us in our lives also. You know sometimes, you know a person he has so many like negative things in his heart. He has anger, jealousy, ego issues. He has addictions to shamelessness. You know. Uh, a lot of hasad there, anger and depression, all these negative things in the heart. When he listens to a dars of Qur'an about, you know, Jannah and these things, is he going to get affected too much? Not much impact. Why? Because there's too much, there, there needs to be cleaning up that's done. So first, what, what needs to happen? Cleaning up. Tawbah, istighfar, reminding him that Allah is forgiving, and it's okay, you did mistakes in the past, that's fine. Khalas, don't live in the past. Just make tawbah, everything in the past will be over. And this is what Allah gives us in Ramadan. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Ramadan, especially these last 10 nights, He's telling us, forget the past. Forget the past. All gone, deleted. You're like a newborn baby. The same ajr you get for hajj. Forget the past. Don't live in the past. I want you to live in the present. And forget the future. Make dua for me. I'll give you jannah and inshallah you'll get it. Khalas, live in the present. Live like a slave. Do something beneficial for humanity. You know, add value to humanity. Use the blessings I've given you to thank Allah and make a difference. Live a meaningful life in the present. Stop living in the past. Stop living in the future. Stop worrying about the past. Some people, they can't get over their sins. They can't get over it. You know, they can't move on. You know, we learn about the story of this prostitute who used to sell her body for money. She fed an animal... And Rasulullah said that with that act, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guaranteed her Jannah. A prostitute, just feeding an animal. And we know the story of the man who killed 99 people, and eventually 100 people, and then Allah forgave him and he became from people of Jannah. We know about Abu Sufyan, the leader of Quraysh. For 23 years he was re- resisting the message, resisting, resisting, resisting. Did Allah give, give up hope on him? Did Rasulullah give, give up hope on him? What happened after Fath Mecca? He accepted Islam and he died as a Sahabi. The biggest enemy of Rasulullah ended up dying like a Sahabi and guaranteed Jannah. Subhanallah, you know. So these are all lessons for us. That don't live in the past. Ramadan is a time to clean up so that after Ramadan, what do you do? Tahliya. Now, now you've got to do good deeds. Inshallah, more Quran. Spending quality time with your family, with your kids, with your wives, get married if you can. You know, start doing voluntary work, start helping the poor, you know, sponsor an orphan, do something productive, get closer to the Quran, start reading it with understanding, start attending these durus. Make a difference and, you know, do something beneficial, add value, solve a problem for your society, solve problems in your family. If you have family members who have fights, fights against one another, make peace between them, do something good. Make people around you happy. That's what's supposed to happen after Ramadan. Ramadan is a time for takhliya, clean up. Remove the past. And then after Ramadan, inshallah, we do takhliya, inshallah. And we, we add the nice stuff, inshallah. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of people who, inshallah, Allah accepts uh, the last 10 nights. And may Allah accept all your du'as and mine. And yeah, may He, inshallah, help us continue even after Ramadan with doing these good deeds and inshallah getting closer to him so we can inshallah gather like this gathering in Jannah al-Firdaus inshallah one day. Zakumullah khair subhanakallah bihamdik nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaykum assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.